I don't know if you're close in age to Hyling. It, you seem like you might be close in age, but maybe that's I'm 32. Just the, I don't know how the how Zoom old filter. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Asian American Forward Podcast. My name is Katie Simpson. I'm here with my regular co-host, Don Sun. And we have another guest this week, kind of continuing our series of interviewing New York City uh, Council candidates. Hi, Ling Chen. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi, Hi, everyone. This is Don Sun, co-host with Katie. And we have a good young, handsome guy hiding there. (laughs) Well, we're really excited to talk to you today. We might have a a surprise guest joining us later, so that should be really great. Um, But we have usually given uh, our candidates a chance to introduce themselves to the audience before doing anything else. So Hailing, do you just have the quick bumper sticker kind of summary that you give to people when you're introducing yourself to strangers? Yeah. You know, hi everyone. Uh, my name is Hayden Chen. Uh, I started as an Uber uh, driver after I graduated from the college, just like so many other, um, you know, college students. When they graduate, they cannot find a job. They find an entry level job. You know, I found, uh, you know, to be driving for Uber, and then I become the labor organizer with the Independent Driver Guild, uh, which is trying to figure out a way to organize uh, the gig economy workers in. Uh, in New York cities. So I fought for a couple um, couple campaign that, you know, successfully were able to secure like minimum pay, tipping options and benefits uh, for Uber drivers. And, you know, everything we have done for the last couple of years is uh, historical. Um, yeah, so, you know, and then I get into the politics. I get into the politics and I become the first uh, Fujianese uh, ever to run for the office in New York State. And is this your first time running? Yes, correct. So what kind of prompted you to make that switch from labor activism into kind of running for an official position? Um, and also why a uh, city commission? Why is that the particular position that you chose? Um, first of all, I love my job as a labor organizer. You know, as a advocate for the gig economy workers, but I think with the position uh, that I can be holding as a councilman, uh, will enable me to even not just serving a community of drivers, but also serving our own community. A community has been suffering a lot from the pandemic. A community that have been ignored. You know, uh, particularly, you know, the fashion with a very diverse group of people. We have South Asian, we have Koreans, we have, um, you know, Spanish, you know, in my district. I think, you, you know, it's a leadership that has to, um, that has to carry on from uh, what we have right now and to further, um, I mean, to further, you know, demonstrate that the young and the Jalek leadership can serve uh, the people uh, with the passion, with uh, the enthusiasm. And so I'm very uh, proud that I think it's a very different world. We live in the 21st centuries, but we have a lot of the policy that's made like a, a few decades ago, you know, you know, never gonna be 
you know, able to have uh, to be a good policy, uh, you know, as of today. So. Yeah, and I want to ask also specifically um, with your particular focus on um, rideshare drivers like Uber and Lyft, that's been such a, a contentious issue, especially in the last couple of years here in California, we had a proposition uh, passed this year related to that. Um, and I think something that really has gone underlooked uh, in this sort of past year of the pandemic is the way in which um, Uber and Lyft drivers and also restaurant workers and people like that who have been a part of your platform are essential workers and are kind of suffering just as much as maybe doctors and nurses are in under these working conditions, um, but haven't had the same level of attention kind of poured towards them. Um, so I'm wondering uh, like what the biggest thing you've learned through the pandemic has been kind of with specific focus on these labor issues. I think the biggest problem that Uber driver have is a lack of the protection, the lack of anything else that a traditional employee taking for granted. There's no benefit. Uh, there's no such thing as a minimum pay. There's no such thing as a benefit. But we fought and we fight, and we think the Uber driver can have a a voice on the table with a 3.3 million Uber driver in uh, in uh, United States. So we have this huge group of excluded workers, the huge group of uh, um, uh, people who, who are usually voiceless and do the unions, they're able to become uh, powerful. You know, and I think the question, uh, question is, it, it's really about the transition of the time because we live in a very different time we are people become the Uber driver because they want the freedom um, of their schedule time. You know, people chose this job because of the flexibilities and not like employee, right? And now, you know, I think, you, you know, our law by classifying workers, you know, simply as employee or independent contractor doesn't work anymore. We need to find a middle ground where a worker can actually able to work whenever they want and, and will also have a bargaining powers with the employers. And that's the third, third model that we are trying to do. And I think it's very significant and that answers a lot of the questions, you know, uh, uh, you know at the low level. Uh, Hailing, I have been back and forth from California to New York almost in weekly basis. So every time I went to New York, and I'm going to go there uh, next week too. So it's, I really want to know, it's, uh, based on your understanding, what's the, your campaign status, how you evaluate your campaign uh, path to the victory, and uh, how many votes you uh, secure especially what's your uh, thinking about the rank choice of voting system, how you apply that new voting system to your particular campaign strategy. And also the last one is the, uh, in terms of fundraising, what's the uh, status uh, in terms you compare with your money, with your competitors. So just to give us some broader picture of your campaign status. Yeah, <clears throat> so first of all, uh, we did a lot of the outreach. Uh, we knocked on more than 7,000, um, um, I, I believe more than 7,000 doors. We gave out 20,000 flyers. 
we get we phone bank five thousand peoples, and we we actually pull out you know few hundred if not a thousand posters, you know across the fashions, and in term. Um, I think my campaign is uh, the, the staff, especially the volunteer, are really working hard and to make a history, right? Because the young people of my generation, right, of our, you know, our generation, is that uh, we don't see a lot of hope. The young people is not moving out of the house, you know, um, and, you know, to take, on the, to, to take on the first step, you know, to become the candidate you know, uh, of my background to run, uh, I think that demonstrate that the young people are able to do something. And with the energies and the passions of a young people to serve a community 24 seven, that is a huge deal. We can have a councilman who is going to go out, you know, to, um, you, you, uh, you, you know, to the different places in 11 p.m. You know, is that, you know, passion, that's what people need it. And in terms of my fundraising, right, we raised more than $40,000. I didn't do a very aggressive fundraising, uh, you, you know, in terms of like gathering people's, uh, but we got like more than 500 unique, like uh, donor. That is, that is like comparable to other people who, uh, who, who other uh, most people consider as like fun runner, you know, and but that demonstrate that we have a support, you know. Some some of those uh, donation is actually come from the drivers, and we have the lower amount of uh, donation, but we we doing pretty good. So compared to other uh, campaign, we raised the same amount, if not more, uh, money than other uh, other candidates. So I think with the ranked choice voting and people is actually, you know, looking for someone, you know, who is going, uh, going to uh, want to, you know, change, um, uh, change the community. And I am, you know, compare my age to the second youngest candidate, I'm like 18 years younger. You know, I have more energy and I, you know, I wanted to, um, you know, to help. Yeah, and, and we can do it. And don't. And, and one of the very uh, big thing I want to demonstrate for my campaign, don't let anybody tell you cannot do something. If I can do it, everybody else can do it. Nothing is impossible, but it's the imagination that you have limit what you want to do in your life. Uh, Haile, uh, yeah. I do have a, one more question, but before I jump into the next question, I just want to welcome uh, uh, my friend and a very knowledgeable political consultant, uh, Trip Young, and uh, he just joined here. And uh, hi, Trip, say hi to Asian American. Hey, good evening, everyone. <laughs> hey, hi. good evening uh, to, to Don, to Katie, uh, to Hailing, and uh, all the listeners of the, the podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to, to join you all, and I look forward to speaking with you soon um, after uh, Hailing wraps up his segment. Yeah, uh, I have uh, one more question to Haileen. Haileen, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you have identified, you have uh, one uh, unique uh, background is uh, about uh, uh, Uber drivers. Also, it's, uh, you emphasize you're coming from uh, uh, mainland China, especially from uh, Fujian province. And I know it's uh, around the country, there's uh, millions of Fujianese uh, and uh, you are their hope. And uh, how you can say 
you can utilize these two pretty unique uh, advantages to run your campaign. Yeah, so I mean, this combination of uh, uniqueness, um, and I would say, uh, you know, I would say that, you know, it's a very uh, special time where we have three Fujianese candidates, not just me, and, you know, I happen to be, you know, the first one to register and announce my candidacies, uh, but we have two more young people to kind of like step out and it, it's really uh, kind of like becoming uh, a very important chapter uh, for Fujianese immigrants to run for the office. And, you know, I, w I don't want my campaign to have any, like, you know, uh, more special than others. But I think my uh, campaign definitely can inspire some people and more people to run and more awareness in the community, such as a Fujianese community. But also on the other side, you know, I am in a, uh, I came from a industry where it's pretty new, but they expand exponentially over the last couple of years. And we have so many people that's undefined and there are so many laws around this whole industry is, is being undefined. It's been nicknamed uh, for the last you know, couple of decades. No one thought this can come so fast. And that's why we need to have a leadership who understand the challenge of our time, who experience the challenge of our time and to be able to come up with the solution that is going to work for uh, the good of the society. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I wanted to ask one last question to you, um, Highland, which is that, uh, so you moved to, remind me how old you were when you moved to New York City. Oh, 14 years old. 14, so perfect. We've been asking a lot of our candidates also um, to kind of reflect on what the biggest change they've seen in the city um, in their life there. Um, and then coming, coming off of that, what's the biggest change you've seen? And what do you think the biggest challenge is facing New York City within the next year? Um, I think, uh, let me answer the latter uh, question first. I think, you know, with the next years, if we, if we got enough votes, if, if we come out to participate in this civic process, we can have a brand new leadership where people going to, you know, change, you know, going to, uh, to see a hope of uh, infrastructures, of uh, cleanliness of uh, communities. Uh, so I think, you know, these are uh, important, right? In terms of what, you know, what are the huge change I, I saw uh, since I came here? Uh, there's a lot of the developments, my right? a uh, lot of the development, but I haven't seen uh, a lot of the positive change uh, in New York, in my community. The role is still uh, very messy, you know, very rocky. We're still seeing, you know, the, uh, you know, a lot of the trashes going, you know, around and like, and there's so much more uh, change, like um, in terms of the pandemic, the restaurant are shutting down, the hotel are shutting down. So who gonna be the savior, you know, of this disaster? Who gonna, who gonna really take on the role and, and carry us to the next level? I think that's a, a very important topic we need to think about. And that's why I encourage every single one of you have to come out, have to vote, no matter who you vote for, vote uh, for 
the for your choice. Thank you. Yeah. Good advice. Well, I want to bring Trip in since we only have a few minutes or, you know, getting shorter on time. Uh, but Trip, I'll give you the same opportunity that we gave Hailing before you arrived, which is, do you want to introduce yourself to um, our audience just in one or two minutes? Hey, everyone. Uh, good evening. This is Trip Yang. It's a pleasure uh, to be here with all the listeners of the Asian American uh, Forward podcast and uh you know, Don, Katie, thank you for inviting me. Hailing, it's an honor to share uh, the panelist stage with you. Um, my name is Trip Yang. I am a political democratic strategist um, for the past decade. I am based in New York City. Uh, I've done three presidential campaigns and, and worked and run campaigns in seven states. But uh, my biggest area of focus has been New York City, where I have helped elect uh, many of the top uh, candidates, uh, I should say many of the top elected officials in New York, uh, including the only, um, you know, uh, statewide elected official of color, uh, Tish James, and the only citywide elected official of color, Jumani Williams, uh, and a whole host of other uh, elected officials. Uh, here in New York City, um, I run uh, my own consulting, political consulting firm, uh, which is one of the only Asian American uh, founded and led political consulting firms in New York. Um, I have the honor of working uh, with the great Don Sun uh, on the mayoral campaign of Andrew Yang. Um, and uh, I have a host of other uh, Asian American uh, uh, and other candidates of color um, uh, that I am consulting for uh, this cycle. And, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's an honor to be here with everyone. I look forward to the discussion. Yeah, uh, Trip, let's just got a couple of uh, professional questions to you. And I think it's a uh, Katie is more interesting your personal stories. Let yeah. me ask a uh, more professional. Is that you just mentioned that you are the only Asian run political com campaign? One, uh, one of the only. Yeah, one, one of, of the, the many. One of the many. You know, but, I don't uh, like to exaggerate. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yes, yes. <laughs> But at least for my past like 10, 20 years of political experience, I see very, very few the Asian or it's especially Chinese American to run the political campaign and with a professional uh, knowledge and the skill and the network. So that's why it's, I, I'm thinking is what's your plan to expand your territory from New York and to the national level? What's your ambition and what's the knowledge base and what's the resource and yeah. uh, skill you can you can think you can go to the national level to run more campaigns next year? Okay, I think 2022 is going to be a big year for the Asian candidate. There's a lot of opportunity. That's why I ask this question. Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, my uh, my own consulting firm is expanding and growing. Uh, you know, we do a lot of races in New York City this this election cycle. But to your point, 2022 is a big year nationally. Uh, there are going to be many candidates across the country, uh, many Asian American and other candidates across the country uh, in, in states like California and states like Massachusetts and, and all over. And so, you know, we look forward uh, as a as a political consulting firm to to expand. Uh, you know, we work with anyone who shares our values of a more inclusive, democratic uh uh and progressive um society uh that particularly uplifts immigrants and communities of color and so uh you know we we look forward to it to expanding and, and, and bringing our talents and um onto uh, more of the national stage in 2022 thank you before i turn the mic to katie and i just have a one more question uh most time when i do the political 
no, I'm not a consultant, but I do a lot of fundraising for the uh, Asian politicians or candidate. There's a very, very tricky issue always uh, pending and hanging in my mind is uh, if there have a two uh, Asian candidate run yeah. against uh, each other, what's your judgment how you can generally solve the problem like this? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and this comes up in in various communities, uh, communities that are underrepresented, whether it's, it's you know, um, a historically black community and having multiple black candidates or having a similar scenario uh, coming up uh, with the Latino community or the Muslim mm -hmm. community, et cetera. Um, this scenario is not uncommon. Um, you know, we are seeing this in many of the New York City uh, council races currently this year. Um, and I would say, you know, if there's an opportunity um, for that city or that state uh, or that election to do ranked choice voting, that is very helpful. In New York City, this is the first year in New York City that there is ranked choice voting, meaning you can rank up to five candidates on the ballot. You can rank someone one, two, three, four, five. Uh, and this is a way uh, to ensure that your vote counts um, in, in many ways, depending on how the election goes. And then this is a way, um, a method that will encourage representation um, uh, um, amongst Asian American candidates and candidates of color um, in historically underrepresented districts. Um, but the question also is what happens when the district does not, or the city or the state does not have ranked choice voting? Um, and I would just say in those scenarios, which exist in most of the cities and states um, in our country right now, um, it's just gonna be important um, for there to be some type of uh, diplomatic agreement, uh, whether verbally or written amongst the candidates, if there is a way to, um, to have that type of understanding. Uh, and so that um, while they are competitors, they do not have to be antagonistic, hostile competitors uh, that, you know, uh, the best candidate can win. And that at the end of the day, the community can have, um, you know, representation. I kind of want to follow up on that um, with one more question and then maybe ask you a little bit about um, how you got into politics um, and consulting. Um, but Tripp, I'm wondering, since you've worked with so many candidates, um, kind of how you determine what makes a good candidate or someone who's going to be successful, what sets those people apart? Yeah, you know, there are certain objective things that you can look at. Um, you know, if someone has previously run for office before um, and is currently or previously been elected official, uh, that individual then has a demonstrated, you know, track record of success. Um, if the person has not been elected official, but the person has run for office, and even if they have not won in the past, but they've demonstrated ability to really fundraise, earn endorsements, and earn the support of voters, uh, that is also a helpful uh, uh, signaler as well. Um, you know, it's important also every, every cycle, um, you know, for political operatives to know, um, have an honest assessment of the likelihood of winning. Um, sometimes we can make good predictions and sometimes we cannot. Um, but some indicators in the past have been how much have you fundraised? Do you have political endorsements uh, in your current run? Um, that is 50% of the game is taking a look at some of these objective metrics. The other 50% is trusting your gut and trusting your instincts. Um, I almost always trust my gut and my instincts with candidates. Um, I think it's very important. I always try to sit down with the candidate um, in person if possible. 
Uh, if not, a Zoom call uh, can suffice. But I want to get to know the person. I want to know their values. I want to feel if they're an authentic person. I want to know how they treat their staff. I want to know how they treat someone who doesn't support them. All of, all of that is, is part of the EQ feeling out process. I, you know, quite candidly speaking, I don't want to, you know, help elect a candidate who treats people poorly, um, mm -hmm. even if they can raise $10 million. Um, so 50% of it is looking at some of the metrics, money in, that they've raised, endorsements, past accomplishments, and the other 50% of it, try to get to know the person and trust your gut and instinct on them. Yeah, I have no idea where the cliche that politics is about people came from, but I feel like that's so applicable um, in this situation. And I think it's interesting. I don't know if you're close in age to Hyling. It, you seem like you might be close in age, but maybe that's I'm 32. Just the, I don't know how the how Zoom filter. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's interesting that you both have this interest in kind of influencing people. Hyling has done a lot of labor activism and is now running for office. But you've kind of gone another route. What got you into into politics, and why consulting? kind of as your method of sort of like having an impact on your community? Yeah. Um, so I never planned to get into politics professionally. Um, I had studied economics when I was in school. I had been interviewing at various banks in the New York uh, and tri-state area, which is where I grew up in. And, uh, you know, it was really uh, uh, on something of a whim that I had applied to be an unpaid fellow for the Obama re-election campaign. This is going into 2012. And um, uh, for some reason or, or another, they accepted me. And, um, you know, I did a lot of volunteer work as an unpaid intern uh, or fellow. And eventually they gave me a full-time staff position. Um, and it's been um, something that has been very helpful for me in my career since. Uh, you know, it leveraged me into being a campaign manager uh, for Councilmember Margaret Chin, who is the first ever Chinese American woman uh, to be elected um, to the New York City Council. It allowed me to be, um, uh, uh, gave me the experiences to help uh, elect Jumani Williams as his campaign manager. He is um, the only non-white citywide elected official in New York and only the fourth ever um, black New Yorker to be elected citywide. Um, so this was really whimsical and it was kind of an accident. Um, I, I just didn't feel fulfilled, um, you know, working in the, in the financial industry, quite frankly, um, uh, was a big part of it. Um, and to your second question, Katie, um, one of the reasons why I wanted to um, have an impact is because representation, representation matters a lot to me. Um, as I was coming up in this industry, I have found it was very easy uh, for me to be pigeonholed and other, um, uh, other people who are non-white to be pigeonholed into very specific ethnic roles, right? You know, we all know the whole, you know, you're the Asian liaison, you know, you're the Latino liaison, you're the, uh, you know, you're the African-American liaison. But, but those types of positions, a lot of times, the political industry do not come with high salaries, they do not come with influence, and they don't come with a voice, um, and this is me candidly speaking. And so I wanted to um, uh, work my way up where I was in a position where I had decision-making authority um, and I had real influence within a political organization. Um, and I will say, you know, one of my goals career-wise thinking long-term um, is to help grow 
Asian American uh, political influence that comes with electing Asian American candidates, but that also comes with building a pipeline of high level professional talent for Asian Americans, that young Asian Americans can see this type of industry as a career choice that is that, you know, that they can um, climb the ladder in and find success in. Um, I think that is very, very important. When I first came in the game, uh, I was often the only Asian American uh, person in any type of political organization. That is starting to change very, very slowly. Uh, and we have much more work to do. Yeah, I, I want to ask, what was it about that Obama campaign experience that really attracted you to being in politics more? It's a pretty big departure from working for um, a bank. Yeah, I, I will say what um, inspired me about it is that um, I am an a I was an Asian American young man, uh, and, and currently I'm still an Asian American, but a slightly less young man um, and who grew up in the New Jersey, uh, uh, in North Jersey, right outside Manhattan. And uh, I was assigned to uh, work and organize and to recruit volunteers in rural Iowa, uh, in 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 this in a, a, a traditionally. Uh, Democrat, but had been leaning Republican uh, area of rural uh, country Iowa. And needless to say, there were um, the lived experiences were different, um, but they were similar in that um, I was drawn to the community's um, longing for public servants and elected officials who um, cared about the forgotten American, who cared about, in this case, marginalized as being low income or marginalized um, being, um, you know, individuals, uh, Iowans who felt left behind uh, by the recession, by the economy. Um, you know, that type of working class struggle was really multiracial. I, th I think it brings us all together. It reflects a lot of uh, how I approach my work. When I consult on campaigns, I always, always tell the campaigns constantly, it is important to build a multiracial coalition. Um, uh, or, you know, in the state, um, that may not be as diverse, you have to build a multi-layered coalition where you're bringing together people with different lived experiences. Um, and, you know, for some reason or another, um, by the end of my experience in Iowa, and this is almost a decade ago, uh, I had simply connected with people. They, they looked very different from me. They had a very different lived experience than me, but I could sense, you know, they had their struggle and challenges in, in their lives. And I certainly had those in mine. Um, and there was a bonding of, 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 of you know, trying to um, trying to work towards a fairer, more inclusive, better country um, for all of us Americans. Um, and that really hooked me onto it. You know, if I could, if I could figure this out professionally, if I could connect with people in a very, very different part of the country, um, I knew I could, uh, I knew I had an opportunity to succeed anywhere. Yeah, that's yeah. such a fantastic, hopeful note. Um, and we will wrap it up with our last thing that we always do, which is I will ask each of you to recommend a book to our audience when we're not talking about politics on this show. Uh, we we're talking about books. So um, Hailing, you can go first and then trip and we will say goodbye because I know you guys have a busy day today. Um, I will recommend uh, a book by Dale Kanagi, Kanagi uh, How to Weave Friend and Influence People. <laughs> um, I really liked a book called The Last Lecture. Uh, it was by a former professor at Carnegie Mellon uh, University. Um, it was a really reflective, contemplative book uh, written by someone who 
was nearing um, uh, uh, the time where he would pass away. And uh, the book was written over a decade ago. And here, now and again, I still come back to it. It's called The Last Lecture. It, it just makes you, um, it certainly makes me um, want to live every day to the fullest um, when you read a book um, from an author from that perspective. Okay. Wow, um, we will, oh, go ahead. It, it's okay. It's, uh, I just think it's uh, uh, every time I visit uh, New York, have a lunch, dinner with all your guys. Next time, is, I'm going to treat uh, trip uh, another sake. Okay, really enjoy talking with you. So it's that we can drink together next time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, we, uh, Haley's got to be invited too. And, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. For sure. Yeah. And uh, Katie, if you're if you're ever in town, uh, I'll let you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, there's certainly some more good stories to be told. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we will wrap it up there for this week. Don, Hailing, Trip, thank you so much for joining. Thank you, you so much. It was a pleasure. My name is Katie Simpson. Our podcast is sponsored by Asian American Forward. You can visit our website at www.asianamericanforward.com. If you enjoyed the show this week or have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future episode, send us your comments at info at asianamericanforward.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can also find us on our Facebook and hear more conversations between Don and I at our YouTube channel. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a review in the Apple podcast store or tell someone about us. It really helps people find the show. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you again next week.